Let's pray together. Lord, we ask for your help today. I ask for your help as I stand and uh, declare your word. And Lord, may it be your word and your will and your ways that happen here today. We pray, Lord, for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word that teaches us, that, that shares with us uh, your marvelous plan of redemption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to look in your Bible at Romans chapter 10. We're going to read verses 13 uh, through uh, verse 17, and uh, I think you'll uh, see very simply what we're going to say here today. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul makes that statement, and then he asks a series of questions. He says, How then shall they uh, call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing uh, through the word of Christ. Now we're going to review one thing that we said last week, and this will be the first point of the message, and I'll number them off for you so you can follow. Here it is. In order to be saved, you must sense your need for the Lord to save you. And we illustrated with Peter how Peter, when he walked on the Sea of Galilee, began to sink, and he, he was afraid, and he cried out, Lord, save me, and the Lord did save him. The Bible says here simply that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That doesn't mean that I just merely speak the name of Jesus, but that I need to pray. I need to ask him to do something for me that I can't do for myself. A wonderful illustration out of the Bible itself is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says that she uh, was sick for 12 years. She had been to all sorts of doctors and, and only grew worse. She didn't get any better. And she had spent all her living. And then she heard that Jesus was coming. And she said to herself, If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be well. That woman didn't pray, did she? But by reaching out to touch Jesus, from her heart she was saying, Oh Lord, I need your help. She touched him and she was healed. For us, for us, prayer is reaching out to touch the hem of his garment. We say, Lord, I have a need in my life. I can't do anything about it. I have a problem. I can't solve it. But on the fundamental level, when I realize that I'm lost, that judgment is coming on me because I don't know Jesus is my Savior, and I reach out and I cry out to Jesus and I say, Lord, save me, then he will do it. He will answer that prayer. But Paul raises a, an important question. He says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You have to believe. You won't call on somebody. Most of us won't ask for help because we're sort of stubborn, especially men. We have a hard time admitting that we need somebody to help us. It embarrasses us. I, I talked to somebody today, and I said, let me know if you need some help, if I can help you. You'll call me, won't you? And they say, well, I try not to. I understand that. I do the same thing. I'm the same way. Well, let's ask another question. Number two, does a person just automatically know 
that Jesus can help them. Doug talked about that. Do people in Loosedale just automatically know that Jesus can help them? Would you just automatically know it without somebody telling you? Paul said, nobody's going to know it unless somebody tells them. I think one of the problems that we have as Christians today uh, who are in the church is that we have forgotten what it's like to be outside the church. And we assume that everybody knows what we know. Or we assume that they're, they're on a mission. They're looking to find it out, but that's not true. A person can't believe in something they don't know about. They can't act on something they don't know about. They can't call on Jesus if they don't know about Jesus. And so Paul says, how are they going to believe in, in the one who can save them if they've never heard about him? Here's number three. We're moving really fast. If a person has never heard the gospel, are they better off for not having heard? Because that's the question some people raise when they look at this passage of Scripture. They say, well, if a person becomes accountable when they hear about Jesus, wouldn't it not be better if they never heard, if they, if they never knew? Well, of course not. Paul speaks of the urgent need of the gospel. He speaks of the power of the gospel. He divides all people. In, in the book of Romans, and we've seen how, how he does that over and over. You're either, you're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. You're in Adam or you're in Christ. You're inside God's purpose or you're outside God's purpose. You are a vessel of wrath. You are a vessel of mercy. And here he divides people again, either by those who have believed or those who haven't believed. And those who haven't believed, Paul says, Either they, they heard and they didn't obey, or they haven't heard, but they have an urgent need to hear. Why do they have an urgent need to hear? Because they're in danger. Let's consider something that happened in our community not too long ago. You'll remember the washout that happened on Highway 26 and how people were driving down that road and they didn't know that the road had washed out and how people were killed there. And would they have been, would, would other people have been better off not knowing that that had happened, not knowing there was danger? No, they needed to know there was danger. They needed somebody to tell them there was danger. And that's what Paul is saying here. They need somebody to tell them so that they can believe. Not all of them will obey the gospel. Not all of them will heed the warning, but they need somebody to tell them. So next, people won't know of the danger unless someone tells them that they're in danger. So should I just assume this morning that everybody in George County has heard the gospel? I think just from counting the number of churches in the George County Times, I think there are no, over 100 churches in George County. That, that's, a, that's a lot of churches, and it seems that there are more all the time. But with all the churches that we have in George County, it seems that we're doing a poorer and poorer job of reaching people with the gospel. It seems that fewer and fewer people going. Why is that? Well, let me share with you an illustration. I grew up in, a, in town, sort of a, a town much smaller than Loosedale, and three miles down the road, out, out in the country, as we called it, was my granddaddy. My granddaddy was a truck farmer. Before I came along, they picked cotton, but when I came along, we picked cotton, but we picked it in cotton sacks. It was a big, long sack made out of blue denim. We draped it over our shoulder, and it drugged the ground behind us, and we'd walk through the pea patch, and we'd pick peas until 
it was full of, that cotton sack was full of peas. Drag that home and then go get another, empty that sack and, and go and do it again. We, but sometimes when we were just going to pick a few peas, we'd take a, a bucket out there. Just a, not a big wash tub, just a bucket. Some of those buckets that my granddaddy had were new and shiny. And some of them were old and rusty. The good thing about a bucket is if you carried a bucket to the pea patch and you got tired, you could flip that bucket upside down and sit on it. But one thing I never saw, whether the bucket was new and shiny or the bucket was old and rusty, I never saw the peas get in the bucket on their own. You could have taken some nice red carpet and put it inside the bucket and the peas still wouldn't have got into the bucket on their own. They had to be picked. People are the same way. And that's what Paul is saying. You need to tell them about Jesus. You need to present them the gospel. And that's what we're going to have to do to get people to come. We are going to have to go and tell them. Paul said, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, Paul wasn't advocating that people have church and hold a service. He was urging people, as Doug said earlier, that we should not be ashamed to share the gospel. And, and that's our, our opportunity. Let me give you an illustration. In the book of Acts, uh, Luke, when he's writing the book of Acts, tells the story of a man who was traveling in a chariot. And he tells the story of one of the first deacons in the New Testament. His name was Philip. Philip had been sharing the gospel somewhere else, and the Spirit moved Philip to this deserted road where there was only one man on the road and he was traveling in his chariot and and the spirit said to Philip go and join yourself to the chariot and Philip ran to the chariot and when he got there he saw the man sitting in his chariot reading from the book of Isaiah that's a that was a remarkable thing in those days you can't imagine how unbelievably remarkable it would have been because people didn't have Bibles in those days or portions of scripture and yet here was a man in the middle of nowhere reading from the Bible and he was reading Isaiah 53 it was the passage that tells about Jesus in Isaiah and the man said and Philip said do you understand what you're reading and the man said how can I unless someone guides me he was searching. He wanted to know. Do you think that there might be somebody sitting at home today, not with their radio on listening to our service, but maybe somebody asking some questions about eternity, about what's going to happen to me when I die? Maybe they've got a Bible. Maybe it's a student at school or somebody that brought a Gideon Bible from the motel and they're reading it and they're wanting to understand it, but there's nobody to tell them. They're just waiting and praying that somebody would come by and knock on their door and say, let, let me explain what this means to you. That's exactly what, what, what uh, uh, Paul is saying here. Here's the next point. Somebody, somebody has to seize the God-appointed opportunity to preach the gospel. Now, that's what this was with Philip and, and, and the man traveling in the chariot. This was not an accident. This was not a random occurrence. This was a divine appointment. It was a divine appointment. When I was pastor in Agricola Baptist Church back in the early 1980s, I was only 25 years old. 
I, I was really young, and, and I didn't know a lot. I had a lot to learn. I still have, I still have a lot to learn, but I had a lot more to learn then. And so uh, I invited Dr. Leonard Sanderson, who was the director of evangelism from the Louisiana Baptist Convention, to come and do a witness revival for us at Agricola. We had four days of witness training, and then we had four days of revival. For four days, we went out and we knocked on doors. And for four days, we had revival and we saw some of those people saved. But I told Dr. Sanderson, I said, Dr. Sanderson, I said, I've, I've been to a Baptist college and I've been through seminary and I'm a pastor. And nobody has ever showed me how to witness to anybody. Has anybody ever showed you how to witness to anybody? We tell you to witness, but has anybody ever showed you? You know what he did? He took me out and we went and we knocked on some people's doors. And he took and he showed me how to take my New Testament and open it up to passages like we've been looking at at Romans and show people not what I was saying, but what the Bible, here's what the Bible says you need to do. Here's what the Bible says about where you are. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. Do you know that's what Paul is saying in this very passage of Scripture? He says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing through the word about Christ. Hearing from the very words of Christ. This is what Jesus said. This morning we looked in our Sunday school class where Nicodemus, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Something needs to happen in your life, Nicodemus. Yes, you're religious. You're a Pharisee, you know a lot about the Bible, but something needs to happen in your heart that's never happened. And so that's what Paul is saying here. There has to be that divine appointment. Preaching is seizing the God-appointed opportunity to share the gospel. And it's not always from the pulpit. It may be with a coworker. It may be with a family member. It may be with a friend that you see that divine appointment. You see, this is a moment that God has brought two people together. You know what I believe about this service today? I believe we're all here by divine appointment. I believe that God knew before I was born that I was going to be preaching in this church today and that you would be in this church today and the people who are listening would be listening today. That's a divine appointment. That's something that only God could arrange and only God could have arranged that meeting between Philip and that man in the chariot. So the last thing I want you to see here this morning is that the Holy Spirit will direct your life to a divine appointment. That's the last point. What if we began to live alert to divine appointments? What if you went to school tomorrow as a student and said, I'm going to be sensitive to if somebody is talking and they, they present a need, maybe I can tell them about Jesus. I'm going to be sensitive to a coworker. Maybe they have a need and I can tell them about Jesus. I'm going to be sensitive to one of my family members. Maybe they have a need and I can tell them about Jesus. God never leaves his work to chance. He arranges your circumstances and, and the circumstances of others so that your lives will cross in a divine appointment. I'd like you to look at Romans 10, 15 now, the final verse of Scripture that we'll look at this morning. Romans 10, 15, the last part of the verse. Paul said, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, one of the things I've shown you through this 10th chapter of Romans is how over and over Paul quotes from the Old Testament. 
He's not telling people something they don't know. He's reminding them of something they do know. This is a verse out of the Old Testament. Romans 10, 15 is in the New Testament, but it's an Old Testament verse. It comes from Isaiah 52, verse 7. And here's how it reads in Isaiah. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now, first, first, those feet are the feet of Jesus. Those are the feet that are talked about in that passage of Scripture, that Jesus' feet would be beautiful as they came to proclaim the good news. The Bible says of the feet of Jesus, I will make, God says, I will make the place of his feet glorious. And where do we most think about the feet of Jesus? We most think about the feet of Jesus on the cross. An instrument of execution became a glorious place for us because that's the fulfillment of Scripture. That Those beautiful feet made that place glorious because His feet graced it. And now you have been called, the Bible says, to follow in His steps, to put your feet where He put His feet. You've been called to preach the gospel. You've been called to share the message uh, and of what he accomplished on your cross, on, on the cross. And when you do, your feet become like his feet. They become beautiful feet, feet that stand on holy ground. They become feet on mission with God. They become consecrated feet. They become sent feet. So Paul says, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach uh, except they be sent? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? How shall they call on him of whom they've not believed? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, whose beautiful feet were nailed to the cross, will be saved. When a, a nation, a nation's military, has a, an assignment, a mission, they always name that mission. In, here in our country, every time... Our military has ever had a mission. They always named it Operation Desert Storm, Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Enduring Freedom. You know some of those names, and there are numbers of them, and I could list them. And as I thought about that, I thought about what in the world might the armies of heaven name the mission of salvation the commander of the armies of heaven, what might he call the mission of salvation? And I thought, what if he called it Operation Beautiful Feet? Wouldn't that be a mystery to the enemy? What in the world is that? Operation Beautiful Feet. How is he going to accomplish anything with Operation Beautiful Feet? But those beautiful feet nailed to the cross accomplished our salvation. In the weeks to come, our church is going to launch an outreach program, and that's what we're going to call it, Operation Beautiful Feet. And in an effort to reach our community, we're going to knock on some doors. We're going to make some ministry visits to people in our church who need those ministry visits. We're going to try to touch some people's lives. It won't all be effective, but there will be some divine appointments there will be some doors knocked on where there will be some people waiting and they will say, I've been looking for somebody. I've been looking for this message. I've been waiting for somebody to come 
and tell me. So when we launch that, I'm going to ask you to be a part of it. I'm going to ask you, as Doug has already mentioned this morning, to consider saying, raising your hand and say, I will be a part of Operation Beautiful Feet. I want to be on mission with my Lord because I realize there are people in our community who will not hear if we don't tell them. But the big thing that's important this morning is what about you? Have you put your feet in the feet of Jesus? Are you following in his steps? Have you done what he wanted you to do? Has he spoken to your heart? And do you need to respond to him? Let's pray.